What do you guys think we should call this episode? Should it be uh, season, four guys, one mic? Four guys, one mic. Okay, <laughs> yeah. all right. Footy fellas round table, footy fellas it's square. It's square, square table. end of a table. Yeah. Mige or Gaim. What's E-I-G-M? Oh, wait, is that first, initials? First letters, yeah. We got two Fofs. We got true two Fofs. Two true Fofs. Two true Fofs, one mic. And, uh... And where's Senor Icy? We'll, we'll just splice <laughs> them. Icy. Welcome to a very special episode of Four Guys, One Mike. It's a Footy Fellas Roundtable. We've got a couple of Footy Fellas here in Chicago, Max and Eli, and we've got a couple of Fofs, OGs, here in Chicago, Edar and Derek. Fellas, welcome to the official roundtable, our studio kitchen. Thank you. Yeah, It's an honor to be here. Thanks for having us. This gives us a chance to, first and foremost, talk about soccer footy in Norway, which which is it called? Football, I assume? Football, yeah. Football, so there, yeah, you already learned something new if you've, <laughs> if you've made it this far in the pod. Uh, but we are going to talk Norwegian soccer with our Norwegian friend Idar, who can give us the scoop. We'll also talk a little AFCON, EPL, U.S. players abroad. We could really go anywhere with this, guys. But let's, let's start with Norway, because mm-hmm. that's something we've never really talked about. And I know Max and I have been itching to learn more about the league yeah like what's what's the deal with footy in norway it's an i mean it's 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 interesting it's a everyone has everyone in norway has a team that they follow in some way or another even if you're not a big football fan you know what what your team is used to be just to give you guys a quick background used to be heavily heavily dominated by rosenborg um the 90s the early 2000s they i think they might have won the league Someone's going to fact check me because this is recorded, but call it 16 times in a row, (laughs) which was a a record uh, in Europe. And they would consistently play in the Champions League, which you guys all know how it works. If you're playing in the Champions League, you're getting a lot of money and no no other Norwegian clubs were even close. So for that reason, they just had a huge advantage that no one could really catch up to. Um, I think 2005 that changed. Volenga won the league and kind of broke that. Rosenborg came back, won it a couple more times, but then since then there's been other teams in the mix. Most recently, Bodeglimp two years in a row, which is a fairy tale. Derek, you can you can attest to this because they're a, sort of like a Leicester in a sense. They're from the north, um, first team ever to win the league from the north of Norway. They did it in an incredible way that it's hard to kind of not. I'm, I'm a Molde fan, and Molde was one of the teams that really took over after Rosenborg, but the last two seasons, Bordeglimt with recruiting players that have failed in other clubs, young local players, and a coach who's just all about kind of the... It's all about how we play, it's never about the results, and just slowly and surely they've just become this amazing team to watch. They beat Roma 6-1, playing their own way, they didn't change their style, um, and it's just almost sort of some sort of a tiki-taka football um, that it's just it's been incredible to watch and they after winning the league the first year sold their best players and came back and won again last year which was kind of incredible so kudos to them but that's kind of what's happening right now it's the off season our season goes from about May April May through November right now it's the off season border game is going to be one of the big contenders again um, Molde Rosenborg had a bad season, but they're, they're always going to be there because they can spend every every offseason, they can spend money, bring players in, so they're always just going to be there. Um, so those three teams, I would say, are the, the big contenders this season. Mm-hmm. What is, in uh, pretend that I know nothing, because mm-hmm. I obviously know everything there is to know about Norwegian, right. you know, we call it fushball uh, <laughs> up there, up in the north. Uh, uh, two questions. One, no. Are there more than one league? Is it just one league? Or are there divisions that lead into it? And uh, what are the stadiums like? You know, what is the largest crowd you might find at a, at a game? And conversely, what's like the smallest crowd you might find in a, again, a top flight game? Yeah, those are good questions. Um, to answer your first question, there's one league. So it's, it's similar to the UK where you have, and most other leagues outside of the US, that you have one top division 
call elitesarian, and then be- below that you have the first division, the second, third, fourth, fifth, and and so on. Um, stadiums. The bigger clubs have nice stadiums. Rosenborg again, biggest club, biggest stadium. They might seat nineteen thousand. They might average over the past few seasons probably around fifteen. Um, the other clubs, Bordeaux, who I just mentioned, won the league two two years in a row. They might average three four thousand so not a lot uh Mulder might average eight nine thousand in a twelve thousand seater stadium um so the, the the teams that have built stadiums over the recent years tend to go for kind of the 10 to twelve thousand capacity mm-hmm. and it's pretty solid rarely yeah. ever fill up unfortunately so there's a big deviation though, i feel like we're between the biggest stadiums and the smallest definitely yeah because Woodigan might be one of the smaller ones there's other <coughs> trumps of teams there's Trump's other teams so yeah uh Sapsborg. So there's teams that probably would around yeah, two, four thousand, something like that. No, so. the I think I guess I don't wanna hijack Edar here. No, this but, no. but so having been good friends with Edar for a while, um I am a keen football manager player and I started my first FM twenty two save as Trumpsa, Trumpsa mm-hmm. and kind of as way to as the team I picked in the league. They're for those who are geography people, they're the most northern team in the league, probably the most northern like populated city in Western Europe. It was a Russian city that's more north, but, yeah. um, and I kind of, they're not very well financed comparably to the rest of the league. They're <laughs> definitely bolstered by youth development, uh, sale of players. They sold the kid to United for like probably a good chunk of change. Mm-hmm. Or, it's usually a sell-on clause. That's the one thing I noticed with all these Norwegian clubs is they do, they're really good with the sell-on clauses. Mm-hmm. And so, so, so they sold them to United in the game or in real no, life? No, no, in real life. Who was? He's yeah, 15, 16. Isak. Uh, uh, Aronson? Yeah, with the, the tattoos. Tattoo, the, that, yeah. the blonde hair. Yeah, yeah. But I'm yeah. sure I'm sure he's got like a 30, 40% sell-on clause and they probably paid only 250 grand for him. So, got it. Um, and so that was kind of my football management was my introduction to everything Edar just laid out. So mm-hmm. teams, structure of the league, season timing, and then with Bodo Glimt, as you pointed out, when that was Trumpso's local rival, mm-hmm. and so that was a big game for us every time. Those uh, media in the game would always like egg you on, <laughs> and, <laughs> and they were really good. I mean, that was a team that Molda and Bodo were the two seasons I did it so far. They were the two teams that I was always kind of relatively good at the game, so I was able to get my team up there from the bottom of the league. But those are two teams that were the hurdles to beat. And one craziest thing I noticed with Bodo in the game is if you kind of you can queue up and look at and people who play the game will know there's a good database of like strength of academy strength of youth coaching in the game and there's they kind of rank you with usually words it's like exceptional or like excellent and so exceptional being the best or like average or basic and Bodo has of all the Norwegian teams the best academy system in the game by naming I think Mold is pretty close but which kind of speaks to what Idar was saying of you and it, it definitely turns true in real life the fact they were able to turn over Jan's Petr Hauga I'm going to butcher these names so. <laughs> yeah. but uh, Petr Hauga mm-hmm. um, I think they sold Zinkanagel yeah, yeah. Zinkanagel but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think they sold Patrick Berg you might yeah. be going yeah but, he's, he's had it yeah. and then uh, Bjorken is going to Bjorken mm-hmm. is going to go too yeah. um, and Ola Solbakken will go somewhere someday yeah, yeah. Um, but you have this like consistent flowing of youth players coming through in a system that's pretty well built to what they want to do, and that's been key to success. And what's really cool, Ida and I will talk about this a lot, is how good Norwegian teams have been doing versus Europe kind of in the last couple of years. So like, often the Nordic countries, and I'll stereotype here, tend to kind of maybe poke into a group stage in Champions like maybe kind of poke in, in Europa League. Don't go that far, and... I think with the developments going on in, in Norway, at least, let's stick there, you're seeing teams kind of, see, players see these teams as launch pads and kind of stay a little longer than they would have gone to, like, an external mm-hmm. academy. So look at Martin Odegaard, what, five, six years ago. He went at 15 to Real Madrid. Maybe in, if in the modern Norwegian league, he would have stayed until 18. Yeah. And then gone. And maybe had Stormsgarten or... Stormskotsa. There you go. <laughs> had them go to... Europa League or Champions League, yeah. and that money is super meaningful there. I mean, we made my fake save of Trump, so we made Europa League the first season. Or, you know, the Europa Conference League, we made the second league because we came in third. Um, is there anyone you want to shout out on yeah. the teams? Yeah, yeah, if they're go. listening, like on your football manager so, team, you want to give a big no, thanks to for actual, that season? actual youth player on the team, Runer Norheim, 16 years old, started him every game, picked him up in my academy. 
I think he will be a very good player coming forward. I think he's 16 in real life. He's very baby-faced if you look him up. I think he's he's commented on some of our Instagram posts, and he <laughs> talks a lot of shit. Yeah. For someone that's 16 yeah, right. in the academy system, like he's been bashing a lot of our stuff on Instagram. His so, English is very good. Runer, very good. Runer, if you're listening, and yeah. if I pronounce that correctly, back off. Yeah, yeah. Watch it. Or, or Kramer will drop you from his... Well, yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, I played the game and saw... I just kind of was like, I need a player to fit this position. Because I'm very much so like, I pick a style, and then I have to just plug in puzzle pieces. I don't try to fit around the guys I have. I just like, clean house usually when I get in there. And that's what that's what Buda are doing as well, I yeah. think. Because I have a friend who used to play for a small club maybe an hour outside of Buda. And he said growing up, they had to play 4-4-3 in his... Sorry, 4-3-3 in his club because every single club in the whole region around Buda has to play 4-3-3 because that's what Buda... They're always going to play 4-3-3. Yeah. So the whole... Yeah, so that's... And it's worked in terms of like development. I mean, mm-hmm. have, and I think actually Belgium did something similar with this golden generation they had, where the FA got together in like the early two thousands, late nineties, and were like, "We want all the academies of the biggest clubs." Anderlecht, I think Royal Antwerp was big then, but uh, Genk, Ghent, all these clubs like got together. They got together and said, "We want you guys to develop this style." Like a, I think they put a four four two or so, mm-hmm. like a three five two or whatever they're playing now, and it kind of worked. I mean, you have guys kind of funneling in the system that all grew up playing a very similar way. I guess you can caveat saying I would love the U.S. to do something similar, <laughs> but I don't know if we will, you know. Um, so a lot of the club teams in Norway are starting to make it on the world stage at this point. You're starting to see them perform in in Europa League, Champions League. I, we haven't had fair? a team in the Champions League in a very long time. I think the Danes have done better in that regard, and the Swedes. Um but we have, I mean, Molde's done good in the Europa League, uh, Buda now recently. It's, I think we're still a ways away to kind of, to taking that next step. But I think there's there's definitely a lot of good signs. Norwegian football too is the national team, if you look back, we haven't qualified for a major championship since the 2000 Euros. Um, in, in the late 90s, we were ranked two on the FIFA rankings, which I don't think we were the second best team in the world, but we had beaten Brazil, we had beaten England. Um, and then a huge dip since then we haven't really produced much and then now the only ones you can probably name is John Carew Lisa Solskjaer so some players but uh, no consistency but obviously now having Holland, Erdegaard Sander Berger um, a lot of players coming up that makes it exciting again um, I think a big factor too since you're asking is <laughs> we used to have big strong players that could kind of dominate games but then that style just didn't work anymore and what we've seen is the generation coming up now they grew up after there was sort of a revolution where they started building astroturfs all over norway because a lot of people a lot of kids grow up and you play soccer in the summer and then you don't the rest of the year you do something else you ski and then you come back but now because of the investment in pitches and and fields everywhere astroturfs you're able to play year-round so more technical generation is growing up now. So Martin Odegaard, he's an example of that. Would never have, if he was born 10 years before, he probably would be a very different player. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of why there's more players now that are making a name for themselves in Europe. So. Max, how would you rate Idar's technical ability having played on the boots, yeah. which if you've checked out our YouTube channel, you pretty much know Idar <laughs> already. Yep. You can just picture him. For all you all you fofs listening, how would you rate his technical ability out of 10? Is he a part of this kind of new wave of Norwegian football? Yeah, no, I mean, I get that all the time. So, like, <laughs> Idar is kind of a phenomenon uh, because he walks in the field and you say, there goes another Norwegian, or we call him a, Nor- a Norgi out here. And, he, and he, he'll, he'll clomp onto the field with his clumsy, like, Norwegian way, uh, but he moves very lightly. You know, it's it's deceiving. You, you think you're coming at like a Maguire, but no, he's he's nift, he's nimble, he's he's got a touch and a breadth to his game uh, that uh, makes me question whether he may have started in ballet, because he is uh, poetic on the field. He's a ten out of ten, and to boot, he's a great guy. So kind of a win all around. Um, quick pivot. Could you pronounce John Onorisa again? You are not Onorisa. <sighs> You say that flat, the last name one more time. Risa. It's like it's, it's there's the an R. R. It's, it's the not R. an R at the same yeah. time. R it's double like, I S E. But then it depends where in Norway you are because they're gonna say it different ways, different places. So for Trump's for just example. Yeah. Oh, uh, 
me think. Rise. Risa. No, I don't know. I, I can't do that on the spot, I think. I need to... Risa. Han That's how they say the first Han Yunan. Risa. Something like that. Yeah. So, so I guess, like, briefly, I don't want to take too much time here, but Norway is, like the U.S., accents are kind of regionally driven. Yeah, like. yeah. Someone told me once that no language in the world has more um, different dialects than Norway. There's a lot of people that have a hard time understanding each other, which is kind of fascinating. Yeah, so funny. You guys are a whole different, long, yeah. long country, too. I mean, I know, yeah. imagine a Svalbardian going to Oslo. Very different, a, very different. It could be a very much so, I don't know, Mississippian and New York type yeah. vibe, right? Mm. <laughs> Well, high praise for Max on uh, Idar's technical ability, his yeah. Yeah, that personhood. Made me, that made me blush. I'm not gonna what was your, one more question before we move on to a couple other topics. Yeah. What was your experience like playing soccer as a kid? Playing football, sorry, as a kid mm-hmm. in Norway. What was the, the team like, the development system? And then your transition to the States. Okay. Um, I think, I mean, I think I was, from, I'm from a very small place of 2,000 people, so every team was coached by someone's dad so there was no I wish I could say oh yeah we had this amazing system it was my friend my dad for a while he didn't know anything about soccer to coach us for a while and then my friend's dad who definitely knew more but still wasn't sort of an advanced coach in any any sense so you at what age what age are you talking so starting at five my dad for a few years and then my friend's dad took over till we were 17 18 same coach the whole time. Um, wow. So just as a result, if, if I was ever to try and do more with football, I would have had to leave that club um, just because, yeah, there's limited how much you can develop and you get to an age where it's like, oh, can we even like put together enough guys to, to field a team or does everyone have to go to a different club? So that was always kind of a thing. So we were never that serious about it. We, like I said earlier, played football during the summer kind of six seven months and then we would play handball and then eventually some football as well during the winter but there was always kind of like a split focus um so i think it would have been hard to get really good growing up right in in my little town um not that you couldn't do it there's some certainly some guys that did all right but i think yeah i think i think that would have been easier in a, in a bigger town with, with more resources uh, probably similar to the u.s well so that's my question to you when you came to the states how did you what was your after your upbringing playing soccer in norway your impression of watching professional uh, f- mm-hmm. football in the world stage mm-hmm. and then you came to the united states were you surprised with the level of competition or the people you're playing with or the skill set? Or were you like, yeah, no, they're what I expected 100%? No, I actually, I was very surprised. Because um, I did it, honestly, I thought the level would be a lot lower here. I thought, I'd always heard that Americans play soccer and they are extremely fit. They train extreme fitness, but technical ability, not so much. I expected just that, that I'd come and play and there'd be a lot of guys that would be good runners, strong, but not as good on the ball, but I was definitely wrong. I mean, even even playing for the boots in men's league, I was surprised by how many technically gifted players there were. Granted, a lot of them were from Mexico and and the UK, but also Americans such as yourselves, Max, Eli, Derek, good on the ball. Especially and Derek. Especially, especially Derek. Yeah. Um, but no, so I, I was, I, I actually did think and I never played at a high level. And I thought, oh, I'll go out there and, and probably be absolutely fine. But I've, I found myself struggling. And I still define myself struggling all the time because I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm impressed with, with the level of the skill and the technical ability and tactical ability as well. So I think, I think you grow up in Europe and you're kind of like looking down on, on Americans and their relationship with soccer. And that's completely changed after coming here, knowing talking to you guys and you know Derek probably knows more about the Norwegian League than I do and <laughs> you guys know everything about the Premier League and I wasn't expecting that at all so that's been nice yeah. big win if you're, yeah. if you're American and you're listening hey pat yourself on the back we're doing <laughs> yes. it right hey time to changing yeah. yeah I think I think I think Idar just feels bad for us because we're watching the Olympics right now and he knows Norway's beating the crap out of the <laughs> United States and just 
any and all uh, Winter Olympic events. We'll always have that. <laughs> Throwing us a bone. Yeah. I feel like Grammer is also, uh, he, he brings a certain skill set to the, to the boots and especially to this round table where he seems to know quite a lot of, about leagues and competitions all throughout the world. And mm. a recent one we had that, that just unraveled uh, over the past couple of weeks was the uh, AFCON, Africa Cup of Nations, uh, wherein there were some exciting talents who popped up. There were some exciting results um, and an eventual champion. Derek, I know that you had caught some of those games and some highlights uh, were there any key takeaways from yourself, from your experience, maybe personally that you were excited about, or that you think others, especially us sitting at this table, should take take note of um, when we watch football, the great game, here on out? Yeah, that's a great question, and I hope I can handle it well. <clears throat> so I think I was telling you guys off off podcast. <clears throat> Sorry. Oof. It's a big question. It's, a pretty, it's got <laughs> yeah, a lot of weight yeah, to it. It's yeah, a pretty big question. So I was telling you guys off podcast, I had recently been on vacation, and the book I chose to read while I was on there was a book called Africa United. And I would recommend all of you, the listeners take a look at it. It's a great – for those who like sport, geopolitics, and kind of the intersection between the two, it's, it's a great book that covers that. And it was actually written by a British journalist living in Kenya who traveled around Africa right before the 2010 World Cup and was kind of showing kind of how soccer on the continent exists – how the, the pitfalls of some leagues that are overtly corrupt or underfunded, um, and then also how a lot of the rulers of these countries use soccer as a way to, like, maintain control and maintain order in a country because that's the it's been the, it's honestly in most of these countries the one unifying factor they have whether there's um, ethnic or religious lines or socioeconomic lines or whatever the problem may be in insert any of the, pretty much any of these countries here this is kind of the unifying factor and. Watching the AFCON, you can you can see the passion for sure. I think the one thing anyone who is an AFCON fan would say, which I actually used to watch in high school, so on like streams, I, I always thought it was a really cool tournament. It was just different. And the quality is getting a lot better, I'll point out too. But you have all these really good individual players that often don't come together as a team. And so you have like teams that are poorly coached, good players, but don't have any sort of idea what they're doing in terms of a tactical system. And that can survive for a while and then collapse or, or not. And I think this tournament, you had a lot less of that than you normally do. Like, there definitely was some, and this is my opinion, not, no one's proven this yet, so caveat that, but Cameroon had some games where match fixing, not, or like some dodginess was in there, you know, and I don't know. Like, the, cam- it was, the tournament was in Cameroon, for those who didn't know, and... The whole Comoros team almost testing positive for COVID right before their first game in the oh, knockout. Man. That's a little dodgy. The fact that none of them... And Tunisia had the same thing, and they, Tunisia actually hired a private testing company priorly in the group stage and found that only two of their players, as opposed to 12, had tested positive. And Interesting. So, all that aside, people will say that's, that's what AFCON has negatively going for it. I thought the tournament as a whole, though, you had... Egypt making it a lot further than they should have, probably, with the talent they had. Salah's great, but the rest of their team is... A lot of them are either aging Egyptians that played in Europe one time or at one point, like Ahmed Hagazi, or they're players that play in the Egyptian league. But Carlos Curos was their manager, and he famously took Portugal to the championship in the Euro 2016, I want to say. That was the year? Yeah. And has been Iran's manager going, putting together nice World Cup campaigns as well. And he's a king of getting to a final Mm -hmm. in the least pretty way possible, which is defense first and we'll, we'll score when we need to. And... I thought Senegal, what's really cool about them was their manager, Aliou Cisse, this is the first AFCON they've ever won, and their manager was the best player in the last kind of final they were in and missed a penalty in that final. I think it was against Nigeria, one of the, it was maybe Nigeria. They lost two really quickly in the early 2000s, but he missed a penalty, and now is the coach of this team. And honestly, one thing you don't see often in Europe is African coaches. Mm. And he's one of the coaches that people are tipping from this tournament that might actually get a move to Europe because they had a pretty cool tactical system. They definitely had some stumbles out of the gate, which I get with guys coming from... Senegal's a pretty European-focused team. They have guys coming from all over Europe like Sadio Mane, Edouard Mendy, Ismaili Sar, all Premier League-based players. They have a bunch of guys based in Italy and... Spain as well, like, they're coming from Europe, coming to play in Africa in, some of them actually 
or were could be French born. A lot of the French born, a lot of French born Senegalese are just from colonial roots are are players in their team too. And you kind of have that hiccup of like, okay, we're playing in Africa, we're playing in Cameroon. The pitches are not the pristine quality we're used to. The locker rooms, the transport, there's just differences and. So they kind of stumbled out the gate, but I think by the end, the best team won AFCON. I think we look at it that way. That's the coolest part of the tournament. And you had, like, good coaches throughout. You had some pitfalls. Like, I don't know what happened to Algeria, Ghana, too. Like, teams that probably should have done a lot better. Um, I think the Ivory Coast and World Cups to come will be really exciting. I think if they can get a manager that can both deal with the... It's not gotten a whole lot better, but the Ivorian political system is a lot... It's pretty difficult um, to deal with. There's like a lot of controversy there. That's for a whole different geopolitics podcast. But they've always been pretty solid. Like yeah. they were in World Cups when the U.S. was. Yeah. So not la- maybe they were in 2018, but I remember them from the like the 2010 World Cup and earlier playing right. a role. Oh, Dro- Drobo was like a transformative player for them, and they rode that wave, and now they kind of have another wave of young talent going all over Europe, which is cool to see. Um, so I guess, yeah, biggest takeaway from AFCON was it's a really passionate tournament. A lot of the fans get very involved. For a lot of these countries, it means so much to the people in there and kind of keeping the peace, if, if, you, if that's the best way to put it. Um, but also, like, the quality is, is going up. One plug I'll put in, and Max and I with Wesleyan saw this a little bit, there's a program called Right to Dream. It's based in Ghana. It's actually, they own a club in, in Denmark now, FC Norjaland. I've been playing a little FM with them. But uh, basically, they, they've they been in Ghana since the early 90s, late 90s. They specialized, they created an academy. This was a form of Manchester United Scout created this academy. And they were trying to fill the void of youth development because look at any other country, it comes down to the clubs. In Africa, the clubs don't necessarily invest in youth development. And so you've had programs like Right to Dream come in and start harnessing these kids young and creating pipelines for them that are realistic. Because, like, Mane, when he was 10 years old, probably would have dreamed of playing in Europe, but the path to Europe, if you ever want to read his story, was really zigzagged and had a lot of hurdles. So it's not necessarily the talent isn't there. It's the the facility of getting to the top level is not there. And so I think Africa, as the more globalized football gets, Africa will continue to be a, a good area to recruit, a good area to invest in, and then AFCOM will continue to get better. Corruption's going to continue to be an issue that they need to deal with, but that happens with any kind of emerging market of sport, usually. So India with cricket, that was a huge problem before cricketers got paid a lot of money. <laughs> so Great rundown. Yeah, Baf, hopefully that was okay. Thank you. No, it's comprehensive. Yeah. It's good. Eder, have you ever heard of the Right to Dream program? Have you ever heard of that? From Derek. From Derek. Yeah. It's a big, you mentioned the Wesleyan, so maybe you played with did any with players on Wesleyan from that program? You just played against, I know, NESCAC players yeah. through the program. We looked, we, we had like this thing where our B team would play against a lot of the prep schools in Connecticut, because we were in Connecticut, and some of them like Taft, or mostly Hotchkiss and South Kent had these kids from Right to Dream, and I mean... When we were in all the Nescak, Rashid Muhammad Rashid was like Ron Williams was one of the best players in Nescak, and he was a product of that mm-hmm. system. Yeah, and Norway and Denmark have been recipients of the kind of the cream of the crop of those players, and now they own this team in Denmark. They almost exclusively ship the kids right there. I'm um, at seventeen, eighteen, and they go play. I might have I might have told the story in the pod before, but when I was in high school, two years in a row we played against the boarding school Millbrook on the East Coast. Same area as Taft and Hotchkiss and some of the others. And both years we lost pretty bad, especially the second year. It was like 7-1. And they had two kids from the Right to Dream program. One was Edward Opoku, who ended up playing at Virginia. And I think is in the MLS now, or is trying to... He's playing professionally somewhere, but he went to play at UVA, D1. And he scored their like sixth or seventh goal and he did a backflip and I'll always <laughs> I'll always remember us going down six or seven zero and then getting backflipped on by that was like a core memory for me in my soccer career so that was a tough one but it's a great program great oh. to give these opportunities and find so much unearth so much talent yeah the first time I actually heard about it was when I was playing club so I grew up in the Boston area and we would kind of go all around Thanksgiving we'd go to all these kind of northeast tournaments where a lot of the NESCAC and Ivy League scouts would go and we had this team, mostly there was a website called, oh, Jesus, it's going to escape me. But there was a website that had, it was, I think it was national, that had all the club rankings 
Not top drawer soccer. Not top drawer, a different one. Okay. But basically, whenever we go to a tournament, you'd always search a team like, oh, Michigan Wolverines. Okay, who are that? Or Michigan, whatever their name is, Timberwolves. Some team from Michigan. You see how they are and where they rank. So we were playing this team, the Dover Dreamers, and they were not on this database. And I was like, okay, who are these guys? We're going to stomp. <laughs> They're either really good or really bad. Well, my thought is we're going to stomp on them. Right. They can't be very good. And we show up, and it is literally, it, because the schools had gone out, it was literally a team of the entire, all the prep school quality kids that were in the U.S. on one club team for the Dover Dreamers. And wow. they we actually ended up tying them. Purely because they got they started fighting with each other, <laughs> but the goal as I was a former goalie and two of the goals that I got scored on were like I mean I don't remember the names of the guys but or I didn't at the time bother to ask I should have but they these guys were like the quality they were playing was already like a professional level at like eighteen or seventeen and I just got absolutely crushed by they if they were playing as a team they would have crushed us and maybe that's a epitome of kind of how African soccer has been on a national level is amazing talent everywhere on the pitch but no unification hmm. kind of speaks a little to United right now right hmm. interesting we'll <laughs> get there in a sec we got two more big topics to go EPL and US soccer players abroad potentially ruining their careers or just making their dreams come true so we'll get there in a sec but first a quick thanks to our sponsor for this episode Idar, do you want to speak to the football manager at Reed? What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Football manager has paid us a lot of money to just speak well about the game and and promote the product. So, you know, if you want to just read what they sent to us for football manager 2022, then we can duly get paid for our our advertisement. So it says here, if you're... Looking to really, really stop doing other tasks that you should be doing <laughs> and instead want to sit down and sift through players in obscene countries and try and find that one really talented player and bring him to your second division club in Belgium <laughs> and then go on to develop him and win the Champions League, then you should play Football Manager 2022. And it says here. It says here on the note we need a second sort of voice to speak to that Max. What else? What else? Uh, as football manager shared with us, if um, uh, you know, uh, football manager is not just a. It's not just a game about a game. It's a game about. Um, it's it's more of like a mirror, and it's a reflection of who you are and and what you can become. Uh, build your tomorrow today. Football manager. Hashtag football manager. There's actually more. I just scrolled down in the email. It needs one last voice, a stamp of approval, kind of a final powerful message to really send people directly to their Steam or whatever engine you buy it on your computer. It is Steam, but yeah. Okay, it is Steam. <laughs> Grammar, really really hammer it home. Why should people buy football manager? Why are they paying us? Yeah, so we are all kind of mid-late 20s guys. We want to go talk soccer football with our buddies if you ever want to identify the next players to show off to your friends the Dusan Vlaviches of the world <laughs> bought him last time around but for Brighton mind you or the nowadays Denny's Undavs Brighton just bought him very good player football manager will give you this braggability they will it will let you to eat our point you you sift you sift you like you 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 send out a wide net you're catching a lot of negative or average fish, right? You know, but you might find a great one, and that great one you should brag to everyone you know about. That's so football manager gives you that ability of braggability. Whoa, wow. the ability of braggability. And, and you guys, the marketing folks, I, that kind of just came to me. <laughs> we can use that, right? You're not going to like get no, us no, down no. the there's, line there's and no, say, "Oh, I created this." There's, no, there's no TM, you know. There's no copywriting, whatever you need to do typically for that. I'm, I'm also just an Excel guy, so I don't really know what goes on with that but yeah there we go you guys can take it serious thanks football manager and uh thanks to our ad team here actually doesn't get paid at all i just pocket the money but they have to speak to it so kudos for you all gents for just being good guys you know just kind of helping out if you will but back to man U. back to the epl we got two man U fans here for the first time on a pod 
So what's going on? What's going on with Man U, huh? Well, it's been uh, it's been yeah. Look into each other's eyes and just <laughs> say what you're feeling right now. I'm gonna need another beer real quick. Okay, <laughs> okay we're we're pausing. We'll come back to this one. <laughs> All right, Edar, what do you think about Man U? Optimistic, pessimistic, mystic? Um, I'm pretty optimistic, to be honest. I really like uh, Rangnick. I think he's an amazing dude. I really like his... He's just like, when he talks, I listen. I think he's... he's mm. guy, he makes a lot of sense. Um, I think he's... It's almost like an adult walked into the room and he's like, hey, let's, let's figure this shit out. Mm. And if the players... I think at this point it's so clear that if the players aren't going to play for him either, then they're the problem. So if it if it just takes another year of really getting rid of more guys, getting in players who are really desperate and wanting to play for the club and build from that, then United aren't the first team in the world to go through a, a reboot like this. And sometimes it takes longer than you want it to, but that doesn't mean it's United aren't going to come back and... Yeah, so I think there's so many good things in place. There's talents coming up. There's amazing players already in the squad. I think there's plenty to be optimistic about. Obviously, it hurts like hell when you see the games like Middlesbrough and Burnley not getting three points. It's it's painful. And right after the final whistle, whistle, um, there's definitely a part of me that's angry and upset. But a day after, I'm like, oh, there's, there's enough to be optimistic about. You can at least see a light at the end of the tunnel. Now. Yeah, I think so. And I grew up with United winning everything, and I know how privileged I was with that. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't change that for anything. So, and we've kind of seen Liverpool do the same thing. They, for years and years, were struggling. They were seventh. They were ninth. They were sixth. They were seventh. And and then something clicked. They got the right guy and to to be in charge, and and eventually they started winning again. And it's gonna to happen to United as well, and yeah, of of course it it sucks when when it, when we're down, but we're kind of we're gonna come back. Here, here. <laughs> I I wholeheartedly agree. I feel like any I I can only add on top of that. I think when you're at a club like United, unlike a Stoke, for example, United is a place that is under such a magnifying glass mm-hmm. that any success is suddenly we're back and any mm-hmm. failure is the end of the world. And uh, and with those standards, you are going to have the most dramatic roller coaster of seasons and storylines mm-hmm. um, and cast of characters that walk through the halls. So, you know, yeah, it's a little <laughs> glim at the moment. Glum, glim, mm-hmm. dim. It's a mixture of both of those words. It's an American thing. You mm-hmm. understand. But <laughs> the... Uh, the prospect for the future is optimistic. It has mm-hmm. to be optimistic, um, um, and and actually, a little spin zone. It's also optimistic to be a Stoke City fan too. Um, my my allusion to them is not every game is a, as much of a roller coaster, but they are a team that's very much on the horizon and very much. I think we should expect to see in the Premier League next season, season after. What are we thinking? If we can sneak in the playoff this year, we have a chance. Um, I do have a point on United first before I get please. into oh, the please. Potters as a Potters fan. So uh, unlike these previous two very positive gentlemen, um, I, I'm not negative on United. I, they're both United fans. And I'm a Stoke fan. So I, I kind of come at this, I think, like Eli, with a relatively neutral glance. Um, oh, I guess you could, in history, maybe slightly say I've shaded negative to United. But I'm going to try to get the most objective opinion I can here. Um, I think... Liverpool is a really good example of what they did. Because I think they did this whole rigmarole after Benitez, and maybe after, was it, let's say Benitez, maybe plus one, who was the next coach they had, of let's try to keep squad players, try to keep good players, buy good players, and just see managers that can kind of mold them all together. And I think you guys actually hiring Moyes, I see now, I was very critical of Moyes for a long time, but I see now hiring Moyes after Sir Alex was a, positive move and like we want the next guy to then mold the team around and I think the experiment just like, he just couldn't tactically work with what that was there and I think Sir, I think it speaks more to Sir Alex than negative than negative to Moyes like Sir Alex was able to work so well with such an okay squad and I think then after that it was all guys who were 
going, it was all buy the best marketable players, work on the brand on that side of the Woodward side of the business, and bring in these big name managers that can kind of piecemeal this together. And Toll Solskjaer, who I think was kind of brought the culture back, but was still too tactically nascent to finally get them to where they need to go. And what I think is if you, if you, if you, if, if United buys into Regnick, and maybe Regnick does, I think the plan was to push him to the front office in the summer, but bring on a disciple of him like a Nagelsmann or someone of that ilk. I know Nagelsmann probably won't leave Bayern, but someone like that of Gagan Press, high pressing. I mean, Regnick's like the creator of the system, right? That Klopp grew up under. And so if the system overwrites the players, I think United's United with the war chest of capital they have and what they've done on the youth development side and acquiring youth players were just like Fakindo Palestri, Ahmad Diallo, um, like guys like that, even Isaacson, who's mentioned earlier, uh, Isaac Aronson, sorry. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, good yeah. catch. Um, guys like that, they've done a really good job of kind of looking forward. I think they still have a mount, and, and I'm going to connect with the Stoke in a second, but they have a mountain of like, Unlike Stoke, which is trash, they have a mountain of like slightly less valuable players than when they bought them that are now kind of occupying first team spots. And I think if you can usher the players that don't fit the system out and recoup some of some, if not all, of the capital, then the the world the US could become top three pretty consistently, if not challenging every year with Liverpool and, and City as long as Klopp and Pep stay. I think if you fail to do that and continue to do this like buying the Ronaldos Sorry, you are, but buying the Ronaldo's of the world and and consistently buying the Pog players that like fit this brandable narrative and have a tough time fitting together on the field, then you'll be in for probably Champions League at best for the next couple of years in terms of getting in. And I think I I think the Prem would be better as a whole if you guys are challenging. Chelsea is a team that I think is going to be up there as long as Tuchel stays. That's the big if they've done well with. Other managers, but he's been the first guy that's come in and with their war chest of talented players and be able to finally fit a system together. Um, now, briefly into Stoke, and no one on this podcast wants to listen to Stoke City, so I'll keep it extremely brief. We have our man. We've had our man for about a year, and we've finally been getting rid of these big contract players that were doing nothing for us, and we have a ton of really smart loans. So we have this kid Hayward Bellis from City as a center back coming in on loan. We had Leo Ostergaard from Brighton, Norwegian guy, coming on loan at the beginning of the year. They sent him somewhere else afterwards. We have this really young player from Aston Villa whose hyphenated last name escapes me for a second, who is one of their best talented wingers that's going to come up for them in the next couple of years. And we've just been buying young players. And we actually have uh, Sean Wright Phillips' son and Ian Wright's grandson, Dimaggio Wright Phillips. Who's wow. getting former city product who's getting minutes on our team as a 20 year old kid and so you have we're, we're actually taking the approach that what I appreciate with Stoke is and why I think if not this year then next year we should definitely be a top two three team in the championship there'll always be someone who comes down that will have a lot more money than us but they've definitely thoughtfully tried to work through this so they've taken the years of as opposed to reinvesting like some teams do they've taken the years of let's burn these contracts off and then go back in and what sucks about that as a fan is, I mean, Bet365 owner Peter Co- Coates, or Coates is our president and owner, and he's worth, like, I don't know, if not low billions, hundreds and hundreds of millions. $365 billion. Yeah. That's why it's called Bet365. <laughs> yeah. um, so he could have invested money and taken a hit into the club, but he's always been the stance of business first, so... I don't know. I'm optimistic. I like Michael O'Neill. I think this is his first big... The, the, the one pitfall you could point to him is his first big job. That's not the North Irish national team job. Um, so, For, I, for uh, those of you that uh, aren't subscribed to the Patreon, that aren't paying the 30 40 bucks a month to watch the exclusive video footage of the pod, you miss Grammar's eyes lighting up when he talked about Stoke. Immediately when he... <laughs> He put his finger up to start speaking to Stoke. His demeanor changed. You can tell there's real passion there. And that's what we hope you feel about your club at home. I think we'd all agree. That's that's all we can ask, is that we have a club we care about, we enjoy following, we enjoy talking about. I think when you have a group of friends like I do, who are great friends, love hanging out with these guys, but everyone roots for a Premier League team, it kind of sucks to have to go find some illegal stream and or like pay five pounds on the Stoke City website to watch my team every weekend as opposed to casually just throwing on NBC or somewhere, some family of network NBC channel to watch my team. So 
I look forward to the day when we're back and I am on this podcast, hopefully, talking through our prospects of staying up. <laughs> what are the, what's the, is it, it's not come on you potters. What's like the Stoke No, it is, rally it is exactly come on you it's potters. Come, so is that just every team come on you? Pretty much. C-O-Y. Just come so on we're you? The, we're the second oldest team, continuous team, managed team in England right now, you know. So only Knott's County is older than us. So you were the first one to say, come on, you potters. Unless, and everyone else unless, is copying. Unless Knott's so. County said it first, then we were the first. Okay. Yeah, come on, you Knott's County doesn't sound as good. So, so maybe we may need to, you guys may need to bring on a Knott's County fan. <laughs> <laughs> That's the <laughs> only way forward. Maybe a Knott's County historian <laughs> delve into their history. The question we love discussing on the pod, I'm going to give you each 20 seconds to say who you think is going to come in fifth in the Premier League. That's one that Jones loves, that Icy loves, who's not here with us today, but I'm sure he'll listen to and comment on which team you think is going to finish fifth and why in 20 seconds. Idar, your thoughts? I think Tottenham Hotspur because they're going to be probably sitting fourth and then last round, stoppage time, Ronaldo. (laughs) (laughs) He's done it again. United go fourth and then... Tottenham gets bumped down a fifth. Grammar? I think West Ham. West Ham, they're going to hold on to that. I think, I think Arsenal's going to pop into fourth, United States sixth, Spurs stay seventh, West Ham drop down to fifth. Okay. Got a shout for, uh, for West Ham and for Tottenham. So it's certainly very interesting this EPL season. We're a little over halfway through, but plenty of, plenty of action left, at least for the top four spots, maybe not for actually who's winning the league, but who's making the Champions League and who's getting relegated. Still some exciting battles. Last segment, maybe we do another little round robin. I want to call out three U.S. players that have moved to Europe recently, and you tell me whether it was a good or a questionable move. We'll just go around. Jones, you first. Uh, James Sands, a guy you you messaged to me earlier who just went on loan to Rangers from NYCFC. If you haven't heard of him, he's like a 20-year-old at this point, maybe 19, 20-year-old, center defensive mid. I actually played on the same club team as him, and he was younger and better than me at the time, and is still younger and better than me, which is kind of a shock. Uh, But your thoughts, Jones, is it a good move to get loaned to Rangers at this point in his career? I think on the face of it, it looked like a great move. Uh, You look at someone like Matt Polster, another American who's recently gone over. Um, There there have been... uh, Oh, man, what's another guy? Another guy who's a shorter, bald dude. Uh, Brad Guzon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He's probably taller. But but Rangers, they, they tend to be a nice pipeline for Americans. Very quickly, I would say on the face of it, felt like a decent move, maybe optimistic and promising, but... Clearly, once Rangers brought in Aaron Ramsey, realized that James Sands may not be actually much in the uh, in the plans. Um, so ultimately, it's not looking good. He's there for an 18-month loan, I believe, with an option to buy. So if it's worthwhile, great. If not, at least he has a home to go to right after. Grammar, for you, I propose Ricardo Pepe, the striker for the U.S. national team that is sort of Taken the team by score by storm, been their highest scorer in recent World Cup qualifying competitions, and he's moved to FC Augsburg, where I think he's he's performed all right. Maybe he scored a goal, but he's definitely not flourishing in the same way so far. Was it a mistake to move from the MLS and FC Dallas to Bundesliga? Just quickly, let me start by saying I texted you all in a group chat about him the first game he played, and was like, I like having watched MLS the first half of the COVID year or I guess post-COVID year, and seeing him just bagging goals for Dallas. I was like, this kid, if we can get him from Mexico, it's a huge coup because he's born in El Paso to two Mexican parents. And then it was it was definitely one of those border battles we typically lose. And I think it's good. I think Augsburg is a, in the relegation fight. I think him going in there, he's going to get minutes. They're going to be meaningful minutes. And it's it's almost like you're throwing a guy into the gauntlet where he's never been thrown into the gauntlet before ex- outside of the national side. And... It's a great introduction to Europe. I think it's a thoughtful move to go to a team that is not necessarily in the top half of the league. And to go into the Bundesliga right away, coming from the MLS, is a good statement to both the MLS and to him as a player, as a 19-year-old kid now. Um, So I'm excited. I know it might not have been the quickest start, but it's a different league, different style. He'll get used to it. He's a great player. And I think for selfishly for us American fans, like, having him test himself in that league, even if it's not a, 
a, a wholehearted success is going to make him better for our national team. Nice. Some long-term perspective there for the U.S. Idar, have you heard of Matt Turner? No. The goalkeeper. Okay. <laughs> How about you give us, this is obviously we've, we're three U.S. folks here. Give us someone from Norway that <laughs> has made a move recently that we should keep an eye on. Perhaps a youngster or um, just someone, some other uh, under-the-radar name that uh, you know has moved clubs recently and, and people should be aware of. Erik Hestad from Molde went to Cyprus to play for a club in Cyprus. Apple? Um, it was not Apple. Oh. Um, and then Apple jerseys. And he said it's amazing. He said it was amazing. He said it's amazing. I think he was just, <laughs> just looking, living, just <laughs> living there. Just living there. there. <laughs> I think he was just looking for a change of scenery because I can't imagine the football's a lot better. So that's a good one for you. <laughs> hey, that's a valid reason to move. Like, there's a picture of him like posting in the stadium with a shirt, and he's just got this grin. That's like I'm living life. I'm nice. playing football abroad. Nice. I'm making a lot of money, and I'm getting a tan. So. That's the way to do yeah. it. You know, that's the piece that doesn't get talked about enough. These players moving around, like from the U.S. going abroad. Maybe they just want to live somewhere else. Yeah. Like maybe you just want to live in Cyprus for a couple of years, right, play some right. football, and just enjoy life. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, I think that's a good way to do it. Honestly, you're in your twenties, don't have a lot of commitments, make some money abroad. You know, stories to tell. Beautiful. Yeah. It's a be- beautiful way to end the pod. Yeah. Gents, thanks for joining us. We covered a lot of ground today and had some good some good laughs, some good improv, and some good uh, footy talk. So thanks right. for Appreciate thanks it. for joining the fellas. Thank thanks you, yes. Yeah. I guess last note I'll make is, you know who else is in Cyprus right now? He unites all of us at this table. Nick's Diskarud. Oh, is he? He plays in Cyprus. He's Norwegian-American player. Yeah. He should be our mascot, shouldn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's on Ammonia. Okay. Like the not necessarily the chemical, but the team. Mm. Uh, that's their that's their uh, that's their catchphrase. <laughs> so is that one final submission for the episode name Four Guys One Mix? Nice. Yeah. Nice. I like nice. That. One mix discrude. <laughs> it's a really deep cut for anyone that's first listened for an hour and second knows mixed discrude. <laughs>